Hello, James. Hello, Jack. James, we haven't had very many guests lately, have we? Uh, no, it's been mostly just you and me. Yeah, and that gets easy, gets comfortable, but hey, we needed to break up the malaise and we had just kind of the perfect opportunity put in front of us. We have a fantastic guest here today and he's here for a fantastic reason. The guest is Tommy Angelo. Tommy, welcome back to the Just Hands podcast for the fourth time. Wow, thank you. I, I would have put the over underline at three and a half. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks for having me on. And yeah, this is going to be fun. We got a good hand and a good situation here. Real quick. The first episode we recorded, the title of it was No Way, Comma, He Can't Have It, Exclamation Point. What date was that episode recorded? Oh, this is a guess. I'm going to guess 3.5 years ago. That sounds like quite a good guess. It was recorded. It was our 72nd episode. And it was recorded on April 18th, 2017. So, so four years ago. Coming up on four years. Wow. Yeah. Feels like 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's been a good four years in a lot of ways. Yep. Anyways, Tommy, we're not here to reminisce. We're, we're, here, we're here to look forward. And there's something really cool that is on the horizon, or it's actually already here. And it'll have been here for a few weeks by the time this comes out. Uh, Tell us about your involvement with our former associate, still both here at my very close associate, Zach Bresnik. Well, since that first episode four years ago, Zach and I became really good friends and he moved out here to Berkeley. We spent a bunch of time hanging out, playing music. And then recently he moved to Austin and he is hosting a live game at the Texas Card House in Austin. And that's a casino that's set up to do live streaming. So uh, about a week ago, we did the first ever live stream game from the Texas Card House. Zach is playing in the game, and, the, and the, it's called Poker Unicorns. And his idea is to assemble business people, all business people, entrepreneurs, and they talk business, and we get to listen to that, and they play poker. And they played 5-5, five, five, no limit. It was a kind of a slow game at the beginning, but then it got going really well. And the fun and new thing for me was I was announcing the game along with Alex Rosenberg, another mutual friend of ours. And, and uh, so this is my first time ever announcing a game and Alex. And we feel like it went pretty well and we're hoping there's going to be more of them. And uh, the cool thing is that you guys had the idea of having me on your show to discuss one of the hands from the game, which I thought was brilliant. And that's what we're going to do. And there's a, one really good hand. It's got a lot of meaty stuff in it, and that's what we're going to do. Yeah, the the first episode, you know, you don't get to hear the commentary at the table yet, but I still thought it was a great first episode. And I'm really excited to uh, get a taste with the dynamic of the table talk. You know, Zach and I have been increasingly tech-oriented. You know, he's kind of... Neither of us are fully out of the game of poker, but both of us are, you know, one and three quarters feet out of the game. 
Mm-hmm. And I think this is just a really brilliant format to kind of combine aspects of both these worlds that we really love and think, uh, you know, they both make for great and interesting entertainment. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting to watch this show. I'm pretty sure I'm going to have a chance to play on the show, uh, mm-hmm. which I'm also looking forward to. If you ever need a, a third guy in the booth for an episode here or there, oh sure, I'm, I'm around. Yeah, uh, two is tough. Comment commentary with two people can be tough. Three is three is a breeze though. I can tell you that. Oh, okay. Well, it's called THC or THC. That's a hard one for me. Uh, TCH <laughs> TCH Live is the name of the YouTube channel. If anybody wants to check it out, they got yeah. Tons of- yeah. I'll put a link in the show notes for this episode as well, so you can check out the whole episode down there as well as um a link to the specific hand that we're talking about but it's pretty mm-hmm. entertaining stuff um i think people enjoy checking out that stream and you guys know that we never ever talk about we never promote anything at the beginning of the episode so you guys know that this is good so yeah go watch it <laughs> yep and um so just i don't just full reveal here that that uh Jack does not know the outcome of this hand, but James and I do. So keep that in mind as we make our various predictions and analysis. It's a lot easier when you already know what happened. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. I think often Jack is the one in the light and I'm the one in the dark. Oh, and, I see. Uh, it's, it's a spot I enjoy being in because I think it's, better practice but um it's uh, a little bit disadvantageous in terms of sometimes you can look more foolish uh when your predictions turn out not to be true yeah right. sometimes i change the results of the hand just to make you look silly <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> yeah i know i'm i'm looking forward to it as well i i wish i was always in the dark but you know someone's gotta make sure that the hand has like an adequate amount of details that someone actually wrote down what happened on the river and those sorts of things. Right. Right. Yep. Unless you had a little brain eraser pen from men in black, there's really no way around it. Gentlemen. All right. So yeah, I'll, um, I guess I'll call the action and then, um, you can take turns letting me know what you think about it. But um, so this hand is five, it's the game is a five, five game, but there's been um, some straddling going on. And this is towards the end of the session um, is gonna be like a three hour game. And this hand comes at about the two hour, 40 minute mark. So there's there's been some blood in the water. Mm-hmm. Um, should we talk about, uh, the, the particular characters in the hand? Um, so we'll be taking it from Chris's perspective. What have you noticed about his game so far in this session, Tommy? Like just from, I know you have to concentrate on a lot of different things as commentator, but just from what you've been, uh, able to take in. Well, I was able to learn quite a bit about the player. So the two characters in this hand are Chris, who is going to be the hero as we tell a story, and then Chase, 
That's the other guy's name. And just to get this out here, it's five five blinds on this particular hand. Chris straddled for ten under the gun, and Chase straddled right behind him for twenty. So we got two blinds, like you said, late in the session, things are heated up. So that's kind of important. This you can see the whole picture. You got basically straddler, another straddler, and it came down to the two of them before the is, flop. Is that a Tommy Angela prove play, the the double straddle? Um, well, yeah, I wish everybody did it all the time. <laughs> uh, it'd be fine with me. Um, I know that wasn't what you meant. So, um, Chris, as it turns out, is a very experienced player. We researched him for the show, and he was one of the top money winners in the world in the top 20 online in two, uh, two, 2011 when Black Friday hit. And he's a excellent writer and and uh, like a performance coach and he, he just really impressed me he talks about sitting up straight and breathing and good stuff like that so you know but uh, so he's a very very good player very sophisticated player and he had been doing very well in the game he'd been playing well but also you know making a number of big hands so he was way up for the session um, chase was a uh, more recreational type player, uh, very fun-loving. Zach told me after the game, and Zach was sitting to his other side, that Chase was just a real joy to be around. And he did give, he gave action. He gave a good amount of action. So there's just a quick rundown on the players. How are they each doing at this point in the session? Uh, Chris was up about three or four grand. Um Actually, probably about 2,500, somewhere like that. And Chase, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing he was stuck, you know, a couple buy-ins, maybe 1,500, somewhere around there. Okay. So this is a bit of a – this double straddle is possibly motivated by a desire to recoup lost funds. Could be. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. So in this hand, um, it folds to Chris, who's in the um, the first straddle. So the the small blind and big blind, which are the same size in this particular game, both fold. And Chris um, in the first straddle for ten. Um, Raises to 80 with Ace of Spades, King of Diamonds. Um, it was 20 to him, just to make it clear. Yeah, he made it 4x. Yeah. 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 With uh, a little bit of dead money from the blinds. Right. Yeah. Seems like a pretty uncontroversial play. Is there any case for like limping or, or doing something different? Um, I guess, what do you think, Tommy? That's exactly what I would do to the dollar. Yeah. I would probably limp here as well. It depends a little bit on like what kind of player Chase is. If Chase, if Chase is the type of player to do a lot of raising, facing a limp, then I think you just, it's sort of inexcusable not to limp. But if Chase is a very passive player, then I, I get the open. Um, you know, ace-king is a great hand, but heads up, out of position, 
wide ranges. It's still a great hand, but. Okay, I got I to gotta say something here. So for the last 10 years, I have not been raising ace-king out of the blinds, okay? <laughs> I mean, it started as an experiment, and it went so well, I just kept doing it. But I just want to clarify that my default is to not raise ace-king out of the blinds. This was just a very specific, different situation where I would feel like I wouldn't be counting on Chase to raise because he didn't seem like that type of player. Yeah, but... Um, I just felt like just the mathematics of the hand would require would demand a raise, in so I just wanted to clarify that, that I'm not in the habit of raising on the blinds, and even given that, I felt like I would raise here. Yeah, I think just from how Chase has been playing so far, he's um, a little bit, um, or he's been playing a lot of hands pre-flop. And I think Chris has noticed that. And I don't think he's been super active with three betting. So I, I don't think he'll have too many folds after coming in for the double straddle here. And no. um, so I, I like um, Chris's choice to, to go for yeah. kind you of a bigger sizing is, here. Um, Chris has been opening a lot. And he did open one time with Jack Five suited, and that hand was shown. So it's he's his range is already really well balanced. If that's a factor here, yeah. <clears throat> All right. Yeah, we... my, the purpose behind my limp is to three bet, for what it's worth. Right. Yeah. Not, not right. to limp call. Right. Yeah, I don't think Chase is a is that I think this is where, you know, when you're at the table, you just know, right? You just have a real good sense for that. And yeah, if I if I thought the guy was very likely to three bet, I would probably just limp too. So Chase likes to call and we'll not reveal his hand for now. And we have a flop Chase, of quickly. Yeah. Before before we move on, I just wanted to clarify, you know, you mentioned that you think it's unlikely Chase will fold which is definitely, I think, a, a solid reason to raise. But I wonder exactly what you mean by that. You know, is he calling with eight dudes offsuit? Or, or where do you think the bottom of that range lies? I think he might. I think he yeah. might. I think, he, I, I think at that moment in the game, given what I'd seen, when he puts the double strat, when he puts the straddle on, <laughs> when he puts the 20 on, I think he's committed to 80 with, with all hands. That's just my opinion. Right, I don't think I just can't imagine him folding there, especially knowing it's going to be heads up last act. Yeah, I I would reduce like the combos of the very weakest hands. I think those get folded sometimes, but um, yeah, like like I wouldn't be giving him like kind of if I'm thinking about it in terms of combos, like full combos of. Nineties offsuit like hands like this, um, but maybe like I, I don't think I don't think any suited hands are getting folded. Uh, certainly, I think the more important question is what does Chris think he will fold? And I I would mm -hmm. guess that Chris would not expect him to fold any hands. You know, like you said, there's been a lot of blood spilled and the time was running out. Yeah. All right. All right. So. We have a flop of 
Ace of Hearts, Eight of Clubs, Five of Clubs, and uh, we have Ace of Spades, King of Diamonds, so um, we don't have any backdoor flush possibilities. And pot and, is 185. Yeah, pot is 185, and the, we should mention the effective stacks are 1.5K. 1.9. 1.9, is that right? Yeah, I double-checked that. Okay, yeah. interesting. So I think this is like a, a pretty interesting spot. Um, like there's there's definitely some like stronger hands that Chris will have here, but a lot of runouts could make it more difficult to play like any club run out and then some connecting cards might be uh, lead to some kind of murky decisions for Chris, and then there's also like there's a little bit less protection to be gained on these ace high boards, obviously, because there's no over cards that can come. Um, how would you approach this spot here? Uh, I guess uh, Tommy oh, first. Or... No, let's go Jack first. How... Jack first. Can you sure. remind me how deep we are. Nineteen hundred. Okay. So our SPR is like. 13. Ten. Oh. Isn't there? Yeah. Ten. Ten. There's 190 in the pot? Mm-hmm. Yep. I think it just, you know, it always depends on what you think your opponent's going to do, in my opinion. That's always the most important variable. It sounds, I mean, we know Chase has a lot of hands. We have an ace, which means most of the time Chase has a terrible hand. And when, when Chase has the terrible hand, typically the, the best way for us to make money is to try and get Chase to bluff. So if we think Chase is the type of player who will bluff versus a check, then I think we have to check. Uh, it's just based on how wide his range is at this point, it's kind of hard for us to like really consider folding at any point in the hand, in my opinion. Running, running clubs is the main exception or like running four to a straight. Uh, but, but with what you've said so far, we're really kind of in how can we get this guy to hang himself mode? I do think that ace high boards tend to... There, there are, there's a set of players who kind of challenge the C-better on ace high boards at a frequency which... I don't think it actually makes very much sense. Ace high boards at a position, you're not supposed to do a huge amount of C betting. I think there's a lot of good reasons not to do too much C betting, including the fact that there's a lot of players who like to just challenge C bets on ace high boards. But when we actually have the goods with ace king, you know, to me, the biggest case for C betting is if we think Chase is the type of player who will sort of set off a power keg with a flop raise. But still, I just think that there's so many hands that look so terrible. And the chance of Chase being the type of player who bluff raises here is not as high as the chance that he just bluffs facing perceived weakness. So in my opinion, we want to check call. And then on the turn, if the board actually gets worse for us, I would consider a check raise. Because 
Chase's range is still so wide that I think equity denial becomes more of a strong incentive. So for example, if the turn is like the deuce of clubs, even though we don't have a club in our hand, I think like a check raise, possibly a check shove, depending on like what stacks look like at that point on the turn makes a lot of sense just because, I mean, we're, we're going broke against the flush unless it's a four to a flush. And I think the value of getting one club or worse aces to stack off is more than the value of like saving money on that four club run out. So that's kind of my plan for the hand is check call and then either check call again on the turn or check raise the turn if the board becomes worse for us. Okay. Who's next? Take it away, Tommy. Um, I I kind of agree with a lot of what you said, but the part I think is maybe not not optimal is is the idea that um, that if you check call the flop, that he's going to keep bluffing. You know, so I mean. You 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 made this big bet, and then you check. Well, when the when the guy doesn't see bet when the ace comes, to me that just instantly polarizes his range. If he ever puts any chips in later, I'm going to put him on an ace. Very worst two kings, right? And so the I think the bluffing inducing bluffing thing, the most you're ever going to get out of him is one, you know, one bet. Um, whereas if you keep leading, and he does have something. You know, he's got whatever, 10-8 suited, right? He still might think that he can move you off the hand. He, that's not, he isn't necessarily going to not bluff. He, uh, but, he's, but your range is concealed, especially if he's seen you turn over some crazy hands. You could have queen jack of spades for all he knows, and his pair could be good. So I really think betting is actually more deceptive than checking and calling in this particular situation, which is among the reasons I would bet out. The other thing is, I don't know, you know, if I'm going to make a lot of money off him, he's got to have something. I can't base the whole hand on the assumption he has nothing. So maybe he does have a worse ace, or maybe he does have, you know, the eight of hearts with another heart, uh, you know, a hand he actually likes. Well, now I want to give him, you know, I'm, I'm prepared to bet for value on three streets and make him talk himself in to calling on the river with his one pair convinced that I was bluffing all along. And, and so as soon as you check and call or check and raise, the opponent's never going to be able to talk him into self, talk himself into a terrible river call. <clears throat> so I would bet. Yeah, I, from watching Chase play, I think he's more likely to make calling mistakes um, yes. than yes. than anything else. And I, I think like his whiffs aren't going to just start barreling off on the ace high board. Um, I think, yeah, when like the, I mean, obviously ranges are a lot wider than other scenarios because it's blind versus blind. But I think when the preflop raiser checks on the ace high board, um, it's, yeah, I, I don't know how much bluffing that really induces because it's clear that 
if you had a hand you wanted to bluff with, it could be a good opportunity to bluff. Um, but yeah, obviously if Chase is going to start barreling with a lot of hands, then you know, check becomes better. I think, I think the reason I'm sort of going to stand my ground here is just because of how much air Chase has based on how we're evaluating preflop. The least likely hand for him to have is an ace. And, you know, somewhere between like 60 and 75% of his range is going to be absolute crap. But you're only going to get 100 bucks out of that entire range maximum, right? Well, well, hold on. Because, okay. well, first of all, getting 100 bucks out of that range is very valuable, in my opinion. Okay. That's true. And the, oppor the opportunity cost, there is an opportunity cost, but I don't think it's that significant. So there's there's kind of a couple things that can happen when he has that those terrible hands. One is that he just checks, in which case we give him a chance to turn a second best hand. Um, the other thing that can happen is he bets, in which case we, we basically win that, that money, you know, whatever, 90-some percent of the time. Now... I'm just I'm just trying to put myself in this guy's shoes and in his mindset. Like I just double straddled, I called with absolute crap, I faced a check, I tried to bluff, it didn't work, and now my I have two choices. I can either hope <laughs> that I can keep bluffing and win somehow, or I can just accept the fact that I'm absolutely 100% not going to win this. And I think I'm willing to bet that enough of the time this or that Chase says I mean, you're willing to, to check to enough of the time. Sorry. <laughs> no, what I'm saying is that like the to me, the value of putting Chase in a situation where he has to decide, am I just going to give up and never win this hand? Or am I going to give myself a shot at like making back some of the money that I lost? Because any time he goes down that tree, anytime he says like "fuck it," I'm I'm gonna win this hand. We win so much money versus we win nothing if we bet. Yep, fair enough. Um, so, so to me, that's the key variable. Um, now you guys feel like he's a very loose player. He's gonna call way too much. He's not gonna bluff enough. If that's the if that's how I'm thinking of this player in Chris's spot, then I I agree the bet is going to make more sense. So it's 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 close, and it depends a lot on our table feel, right? Sounds familiar. I mean, for different against it, the the correct play could be check. It could be bet based entirely on our our expectations of of that player. Yeah. I'm I'm coming a little bit more over to Jack's side in that I think like there is some percentage of the time where uh, Chase will might just start barreling with um, air or really low equity hands. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I 
don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm not sure which one is. I'm not and I'll figure it out. Yeah. One other players... little thing with why I tend to bet in these spots, and this this could be a, a leak in my game, I guess. But um, one of my great fears is is letting them check. You know, letting it go check check on the flop when they've got just a pair of eights or a pair of fives, and then they hit the two pair or whatever. And because it did go check check on the flop, it's hard for me to get out cheap. So that's one of the things that I've just decided. I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna uh, ever need to second guess that, because I'm just gonna bet, <laughs> right? And so, you know, maybe there's other adjustments in my game that make that rigidity, rigidity not a good thing because I compensate for it elsewhere. But I gotta say, emotionally, it's really, really good for me to never have to live through those hands where I gave the free card in these routine situations that ended up costing me half my stack because then I didn't have any idea where I was at and the guy sucked out for free. Well, I want to say, I think that's, I think that's more of a wash because when it goes check, check, well, those hands never folded bet. We agree with that, right? On the flop. A five or me? A five or an eight never folds the flop. Right, right. Exactly. So when, so when they turn the two pair, we probably actually save money if it goes check, check on the flop versus bet call. Um, alternatively, if it goes, if, if it happens on the river, then there's a chance I think we could have gotten that hand to fold on the turn and won the hand instead of losing that second bet on the river because we let our opponent See, I actually think I save money by betting exactly the opposite way you said. I bet the guy calls with the one pair, eights or fives, right? And then he hits it on the turn. I bet again. But because I had bet twice, now when he raises or now when he shoves late, I can think, okay, would he be doing that with a hand that doesn't beat one pair? So I, and this could be my style because this really, really works out well for me is being the aggressor out of position like that twice, and then I, I can get an accurate read on the suck out. Whereas if it does go check, check, and now he hits the two pair, now there's actually a decent chance I'm going to lose more than I would have lost by just barreling two streets and not putting any more money in. I think We're going down an intricate path yeah. here, but, but this is really important that I, I really do think that there, that I save money I think that on makes those sense. times on beat, yeah. I think that makes sense in the situations where you can fold to that turn raise. Uh huh. Against Chase in this game environment, are you ever folding the turn? Like, what's the turn where you fold? The only way I would know that is to be at the table. I don't. I don't think while I'm playing. I consciously don't think. So if I were to fold there, if I were to bet the turn and he fo and he raised. And I folded. I would not be able to give you an explanation as to why I folded, and I couldn't even predict which cards would would make me fold and wouldn't make me fold. I I I use I rely that, that entirely sense. on Spidey sense at that moment. Well, thinking about trying to predict based on the accuracy of your Spidey sense and what you know about Chase away from the table, uh -huh. do you have a sense of how often you would fold for, versus that turn raise. I'm not trying to be a dick, but no. No, no. <laughs> I just don't. I, no. I, I, I actively don't think these thoughts. <laughs>
Um, for someone, it just, it just gets me in trouble. What's that? It makes sense. I think, I mean, the approach of like having a way of going about things that is sort of second nature so that you can be in the flow. Yeah. Is a good, it's a good overall approach to the game. For me, I don't, I don't approach the game like that. Uh-huh. For me, I'm thinking in this spot that Chase is wide enough and desperate enough that it's going to be hard for me to ever fold to a turn raise. Specifically, an eight. I mean, the thing is, even an eight, it's. I know I'm losing a good amount, but. I think it's an opportunistic enough card for bluffing that I still expect that calling is going to be very profitable. Yeah. Well, I, I do do the same thing. I'm just, I wouldn't necessarily know that I could, would do it against Chase. Whereas like, there are plenty of times where if I'm against a super aggro guy who's behind me and I flop the ace king like this, in my mind, I'm my whole stack's committed sometimes, no matter what the board is. So, so I, I can go all the way the other way where I could tell you against certain opponents certain times, there's no card that could come that would make me fold, right? I'm absolutely committed. And so I, we're, we're speaking the same thing here. It's just I wouldn't necessarily be able to be that committed against Chase. That makes sense. <clears throat> but there are plenty of times where I'm going to do exactly what you said. And I believe that that makes my betting way much, way better. Like if I know way back at the beginning of the hand that if I bet the flop and he calls and I bet the turn and he raises, and I know that I'm not going to be folding at that moment. That's huge info. That affects the whole, my whole style of the whole hand. And there are plenty of times that I do know that. I, I think we should probably move on to the turn decision. Well, let's, oh, well what actually it's, happened on the flop? This is yeah. so good. <laughs> um, Chris bets 100 into 185 and gets a call from Chase. Okay then. Now we can, and the pot is now 385. Yeah. Um, and we see a turn seven of hearts and we're faced with another interesting decision from Chase, I think. In some ways, this card is probably good for in position, but it also like like I think it helps the equity of in positions range, but that might be also a reason that um, Chase can get more value by betting again. Um, I guess Jack, do you want to go first again? So just to review, the board is eight, flop was ace, eight, five with two clubs, and now the seven of hearts on the turn. And the hero has ace king off. Two flush draws now. Yeah, two flush draws. Yep. Well, I'd like to let someone else take the first shot here, unless you wise really want me to do it. Okay, I'll, I'll go. So the, so. The action's on Chris. The pot's 385. So far, he raised pre-flop out of position, bet the flop when he flopped top, top. And now another card comes. And I would 
for me playing this hand, I would already know that I'm betting the turn no matter what card came. And I would probably already know how much I'm going to bet, which would be right about what Chris bet, which was 300. Um, so that's exactly what I would do. I would continue betting and no matter what card came up and I would bet that amount. I think it's a, it's a similar question for me on the turn as it is on the flop, which is to say just how, how aggressive is chase. Um, because I think my general philosophy is that if your opponent is very likely to make a bet, it's, unlikely that you're going to want to stop them from doing that but are you going to check raise him if he does yeah i i think you're uh, going to check raise every time he bets here right you're never going to just let him see the river no no no, no. okay uh, this is okay. a check the stacks are a little awkward and i think i might have actually bet a little bit larger on the flop because of that um, because I want, I don't want my check raise to be so enormous, but I, I don't mind it anyway. So I think, I think I'm probably planning on check shoving here, which was my plan back on the flop where if the board got in quotes worse for us, then the plan would be to check shove. But if I, I think, think check shoving on the turn is great, except for the chance that he might check behind with you know, five, six, and all kinds of yummy hands where he's just going to pick it off for free. This is where my aversion to giving the free card really lights up and why I would bet out. Well, the thing about, the thing is that we never get that hand to fold. And so if the, if the board is going to come bad for us on the river, we're just going to have to play it with like more money already in the pot. So yeah, I'm but... like, if I know, here, here's sort of my re reasoning is like, on the one hand, do I want to charge five, six to see a river card? Yeah. But if I, if the river's coming a four, do I want to have put that $300 in the pot or not? And I yeah, think the answer is no. Sure. But no. most, most of the time it's not coming a four. And so we're, we're getting like another street of value here on the turn which we won't be able to get on the river if they check back. And then there's also like a lot of more like speculative gut shots that I think our hand benefits even more from betting now. Um, something else I was going to say about this seven, which Tommy kind of alluded to is like, it also, it's going to pair up some of um, Chase's drawing hands. Mm -hmm. uh, which I think, I think those hands will check back a lot from Chase's profile facing um, turn check. There are like probably a lot of club draws that I think we'll bet here, uh, which is more of a case for Jack's option to check. Like probably like Jack deuce of clubs. Some, maybe some of them raise the flop, but I think a lot of them will just, call flop on the a side board so i think like we'll we'll see a lot of bets from yeah from these kind of random club draws but i think like the the straight draws will check back you have to count some combos maybe to get a better idea 
Yeah, James, I, I think this hand, you know, or this turn decision, it really comes down to how is Chase going to play his sort of like pair plus draw type hands. I think the more that those lean towards betting themselves, then check raises the way I would go. The more those lean towards checking back, then I agree with you that getting value from those hands is really an imperative here. Uh, and I would I would want to bet. So you guys have a better sense of how Chase is playing and Chris has the best sense. Mm -hmm. So I definitely we could to his decision. We could overbet too. Like I know he chooses like eighty percent, which is decently large, but you know, on the double flush draw boards there is more to protect against and it's a little bit straightening here as well. So you could pick a size like five hundred yeah. or something, six hundred. And five hundred would leave them with with him leave him with a pot size stack, closer to a pot size stack, which I like to have. If I assume you guys do that too. You don't want to be yeah. like have a half pot stack at the end or I like the overbet. Because I think that the the sort of player against whom I'm betting it all is one who's fairly call oriented and doesn't is not as aggressive. And so part of the value in like the smaller size is that it's more likely your opponent will raise you. And then we can three bet or call off depending on what the raise is. But against the player who was passive enough where we didn't check raise, I like putting in more money on the street where we still have a really significant advantage over our opponent's range. I agree with all that. Plus a $400 bet looks nice. Just four black chips. It does look mm. nice. Were there any uh, lemons or anything, you know, $500 tips out? No, it was, no, it was um, fives and 25s and blacks. It was classic green, red, black. What do you think, blacks or greens? I would use four blacks and bet 400. I think that's a nice bet. And I like the sizing that it leaves behind too. The pot yeah. would be like about 1100 and the remaining stacks would be, you know, 13, 14, something like that. <clears throat> All right, so are we ready to move on to the river? I think so. Mm -hmm. All right, so Chris. It went bet call, 300 call. Oh, yeah. 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 Chris okay. bet 300, Chase called 300. Now the pot is 985. Yeah. So to review the board, it's ace of hearts, eight of clubs, five of clubs on the flop, seven of hearts on the turn, bringing in the second flush draw. And then the river is the nine of hearts, um, which creates like a one-liner to a six and also brings in the backdoor flush as well. I think this is a pretty uncontroversial check spot for Chris. I think the nine of hearts is much better for in position because they will, um, yeah, they'll, they'll have more strong hands, but they'll also have incentive to bluff, um, for example, missed clubs. Um, what do you folks think? 
Yeah, I would I would check here. I'm not Me seeing too. Much, much of a point to betting. Okay. So we, we check. No, we don't have the Ace of Hearts. We don't have yeah. the Ace oh. of Hearts or the King of Hearts. Yeah, or the King of Clubs. Or the Ace of Clubs. Um, King we of Clubs would be worse to have. But anyway. To recap the final board, it's uh, Ace of Hearts, Eight of Clubs, Five of Clubs, Seven of Hearts, Nine of Hearts. Perfect. All right, so we... Um, maybe we can bring some of the live aspect in a second, but we check and face uh, all in from Chase. 1500 all 1500. in. 1500 Into a $1,000 pot. Yeah. So he's, I think he's kind of repping like, um, I guess he could rep, like two pairs a little thin here, but definitely possible. I had like eight, nine. Um, also, yeah, some backdoor hearts get there, like 8x, 5x of hearts. And there are, there are some 6x that he'll be calling flop with as well, which can shove for value. Um, but yeah, I guess I'll, I'll let someone else go. Um, what would you guys be thinking about? Well, I would already be anticipating this play when I checked. Um, so I would make my, whatever I did, I would probably do it faster than Chris did. <laughs> um, during the game, I predicted, and you know, I'm not spoiling it yet what happened, but while we were waiting for Chris, I did predict that he would fold for what it's worth, which meant that based on my you know, I couldn't feel the table at all. I mean, we had a bad vantage and we couldn't really hear. But anyway, I, I didn't think he was going to call for what it's worth. Um, There's a lot of hands that beat you. Yeah, and I, it, a lot of it does come down to would the guy bet two pair. I mean, I would certainly bet two pair there and chase a spot. And, you know, but then there's the sizing of the bet, you know, the feel of the bet. That's why it's like, wow, you got to kind of, you know, got to kind of be there, I think, to, to get any kind of vibe at all. You know, I I don't really, you know, even though we were calling the game, I didn't get that great a feel for how these people were playing. I wasn't, not nearly as much as if I'd been in the game. Yeah, so looking I, at Chris, he, he doesn't look like someone that likes to fold too much to me, but that's just, uh, that's just kind of the vibe I got. You know, like, let's say, let's say the board, the the final card was like a total blank. Then when I checked and it was against an aggressive player, it would it would be back to the basic bluff inducement plan. It's like I would absolutely call, right? The idea would be that if he, if if his hand didn't improve on the river, my vibe was that I had him beat all the way, and now this is a classic bluff inducement on the river when I think the guy's got nothing and I'm going to check, right? And so in that situation, I would check with knowing I was going to call. This one is a little bit different. This is a rare, rare situation where I would check and my plan would be to decide later. And that's really, really rare for me. But this is one of those types of boards. Yeah. I think, I mean, does he shove two pairs like the real question? Yep. 
it gets really hard to call if you think the answer is yes. Yep. If you think the answer is no, then things start looking not so bad because there's there's not a ton. There's sixes, but there's not like a huge amount. There's, there's obviously any yeah. six that is a part of clubs. It's, it's not crazy to think that there could be... I mean, it doesn't really matter at this point, but like six X, like is our opponent calling with like king six of hearts mm -hmm. on the flop? That unrealistic? No, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. um, it just has to almost has to be eight six or five six, even offsuit. You know, something like that is the only way he can have a six or seven six. He can have like six three of clubs. You know, jack six of all, all these sort of like six X of clubs, right? And then possibly six X of hearts. Yeah, the seven six, eight six, nine six, six four. Nine six, yeah. So there, you know, there's quite a few hands in there, but it, it really does come down. A lot of it is would he bet two pair, and and I think the sizing. I mean, I don't know exactly how to read it in this case, but oftentimes, an oversized shove on the river is is a bluff like that. In other words, if he had the straight, wouldn't he bet more like eight hundred? You know. So that, I think that's actually a big factor I take into account on these big river bets when I'm trying to figure out if it's a bluff or not. It's like, wouldn't the guy try to weasel me out of a more legit sized bet if he actually had it? Yeah. I think one. Go ahead. Go ahead, Tommy. No, I'm done. One interesting factor here is that the, the hands that get there on the river tend to be really strong on the turn the hands that miss on the river are not quite as strong on the turn and here's what i mean like two two types of hands that our opponent can have on the turn are like you know nine six or, or let's say it's a hand like king six of hearts king six of hearts is like a epic combo draw on the turn Mm -hmm. Queen deuce of clubs is a club draw. Does our opponent call with both those hands? Or, or does, does our opponent fold either of those? Like at this stage in the game, probably not. But I think that the king six does just get like shoved a good amount of the time. Because it's just, there's so much equity, you know, you want to just try and win there. Even, even oh, on the turn. Like, you're talking about reading into the fact that he didn't raise the turn. Is that what you're right, talking about? Fact, exactly. The fact that he okay. didn't raise the turn makes right. him having like hearts or a six both less likely. Uh -huh. Because I think those are hands where when you have a hand that called the flop and then picked up equity on that turn in the form of hearts or a straight draw, mm -hmm. those hands tend to have so much equity, including just being straight. It's like nine, six, six, four. Mm -hmm. that I think they're going to shove some of the time. Whereas right. like the, the bluffs on the river aren't quite as strong on the turn and don't like I just think that they they don't have the bravery to shove as often. Uh -huh. Which I think is good for call because I think it makes the type of hand that you're most likely to see here like club draws. Um mm -hmm. and yeah, also, I, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I, I, I think hands like 9-10, these sorts of hands shouldn't be rolled out either. 7-10. Uh, Stuff that's like dumb, but, you know, if you're calling, I assume this player is like still calling relatively wide. 
uh, on the flop based on how wide he was calling pre-flop. Yeah. Sort of backdoor hands. So. Well, but I don't know if he's going to call ten seven with two back. You know, that's. I mean, it's a it's a bad call, but like, did you call ten seven to fold on ace eight five? I think he would. He's got nothing. I mean, absolutely nothing. He could turn. Think of all the turns that he could have. <laughs> it took me a while to realize that. Turn Playing limit hold'em. I mean, it used to be that there were. I used to, I used to play limit hold'em against hundreds of people. If if a guy had like three, four clubs, and the board was like king of hearts, queen of hearts, deuce of clubs, that was like a legit draw, right? Two, three card draws. I mean, that was a legit draw. Like lots of people saw that as an absolute must stay in no matter what. I don't know about if that really applies at no limit for a hundred bucks when you're facing a guy who, you know, there's an ace already on board. I don't know. I don't think Chase would call with absolutely nothing on the flop. Yeah, there there are a lot of club draws that miss, and I don't think they're checking back river here. You know, like all the like maybe if they're I think even if they pair up, like it's it's pretty clear like Chris can have an ace here and will be in a really tough spot facing shove. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. then also something I wanted to bring into this is uh, it's kind of a snap shove, which I think we'll probably all agree is a bit more bluff heavy. Well, we didn't yeah. even tell him what he did yet, or did we? Oh, yeah, we did. Okay. No, I didn't know that. Yes. Um, you know, the, there's another thing here, which is that, or something that I talk about on this show all the time is like, very often what you're going to want to do is the thing that your opponent doesn't think you're going to do. Mm -hmm. So let me ask the question, like does chase, if you're chase, or sorry, if you're Chris, do you think chase thinks you're going to fold an ace to this bet? Maybe it's a pretty big bet. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of players just like fold an ace here. It's like, it's so gross. You know, it's 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 probably the worst card in the deck that you could see. Maybe not it's a club is worse, but like the nine of clubs, nine of hearts, it's hard to get much worse than that on the river if you have a hand like Ace King. Right. And so I do think that there is an impulse that says like I okay, I can get an ace to fold. And because of that, I also think there might be an impulse to say like hey, the hands that I'm value targeting might not call 1,500. Like, you know, if I'm if I'm holding a six here and I'm like, boy, do I want to get paid by an ace, you know what size I'm going to choose? A, like an, an overbet for $1,500 in a 5-5 five, five game. Uh, I think against lower level players, that is often not going to be the right approach. So it wouldn't surprise me if like there's an instinct built in there where Chase is actually not as likely to shove when he has the goods here. So I mean I'm definitely yeah. talking myself into a call here. You know, it's like yeah. I think that a lot of the combo draws that get there raise turn. I think so let's just say his stack had been nine hundred. 
and he shoves for, you know, a 90% pot bet, 80% pot bet. That that just makes it a lot harder to read, right? I mean, it's just... Yeah, I think so, because it's the kind of thing where it's like, it's harder for Chase to think his bluffs are going to work, and it's easier for him to think that he can get paid with his like nut, nutty hands, and it's not as risky for him to shove two pair. So overall, I think it's a much... We're getting better odds, which helps, but... It's it's a much trickier to like, I think, isolate the various components of its range, and really think about what the incentives are in a way that kind of makes our decision somewhat clear. Uh, I think things are very murky when there's nine hundred behind. When there's what? When there's only nine hundred dollars behind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, That's kind of so interesting because we don't. We don't have to be right as often, but um, yeah, if, you, if you're confident about the phenomenon of people trying to milk value out, then I could see yeah folding I mean, to the pot size bet. There's also like, there is sort of a psychological difference, in my opinion, between 900 and 1500 that comes from when you break that four digit bet threshold. Uh, so to me, like the difference between 1500 and 900 is disproportionately bigger than the difference between 1500 and 1100. You're talking about how it is in Chase's mind or what do you mean? Yeah, I think, I think to shove for an amount like greater than a thousand takes something extra. Um, okay. So, so yeah, I think like the difference between like 900 and 1100 is much bigger than the difference between 1100 and 1300 in my mind. Okay. Yeah, I got so you. So that, that's kind of a case for fewer bluffs for the large size, right? I'm not saying that Chase is, if Chase is bluffing here, I'm not saying it's a bad bluff mm -hmm. because I don't think most players will call, which is why I think Chris should call so it's like i think if chris or sorry if chase shows up here with a bluff it's i don't think that he did anything wrong per se i i, I, oh, I yeah sorry that i'm just talking about like I, I thought like i'm considering it from chris's perspective and it seems like you're introducing like two two competing thoughts like one is the huge bet from chase not everyone has like the balls to do that with a bluff but the other is that um, thin value won't go for that size. Right. No, no, no. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that he necessarily doesn't have the balls to do it as a bluff. What I'm saying is, it's like it's a size that feels very big, and so it's like, what is Chris trying to accomplish on this board with a bet that feels very big? Okay. We're nine hundred. Like 900 feels much smaller than 1100 because of that extra digit, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. All right. Results? Are we yeah. ready? Yeah, we're ready. What do you think, Jack? I mean, I think he was bluffing. I don't know what he had. You said he would play any two cards, so it's like, <laughs> I think he had 10 7.
okay. Not really. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Queen Deuce of Clubs. Yeah, you're not. He had a five four offsuit, so he he did have a pair that he turned into a bluff, and. Um, yeah, he flopped a pair. Just to review, he flopped bottom pair. He turned a gut shot. Yeah, I think the the turn call is pretty tough. Um, it's tragic. And yeah. then, yeah, but um, and then like just looking at Chris, like I probably wouldn't try to bluff him, but <laughs> that's, just, <laughs> that's just me. I just think he looks kind yeah. of stationary. He looks like. He'd be he'd be suspicious of of river bets, and you know, like the front door clubs miss too. So, like, that's probably some of the things that's going through his mind. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, like I I respect the river bluff for sure. It's yeah, me too. You're not putting him I in an easy spot. I didn't fully comprehend the actual sizing when the hand happened, or I would have been more likely to think he was bluffing. I really think the bet sizing. You know, that if he had made a straight or if he had made two pair and he was, you know, good enough to bet that there, I just don't think he would bet 1500 I think that right, that fact right there, if it's correct, would be enough to, to get me to call. Yeah, agreed. Um, I did run a solve. Just something I wanted to bring up really quick is like, the thinnest hands the solver is shoving with here is for value is six X. So, uh, yeah, two pairs, uh, two weeks to bet for, um, like the over bet sizing. Um, yeah, from that perspective. So I think, well, we I mean, two pair, you could just bet, you could bet three or 400 or, you know, to try to get pocket jacks to call or something like that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't like betting small sizes in position on the river, but um, just because you open up the opportunity to get check raises more, but maybe it doesn't matter too much here. Like maybe there aren't too many check raises that Chris is constructing. I don't know. I think all the strong hands should check here on the river as well. But. So what happened was, is this where we tell what actually happened? Sure. It went, Chris checked the river, Chase bet all in for 1500 Chris tanked for a pretty long time and then did call. And that was, and then we all went home. <laughs> nice call. Yeah, it was yeah. a hell of a call. That's, I mean... I feel good about it when it's not my money, but man, that would not be a. I think I would have needed to think about it too. Um, not having nice. king of clubs is nice. Yeah, for sure. I I do think it's a, it's a spot where that fifteen hundred dollars of information is really critical and kind of. You, you, it's good to sometimes just take a second and say like, all right, what just, what just happened? The nine of hearts came. All right, that wasn't great. I checked, and then my opponent decided to put out 
300 big blinds um, in a spot where if I have an ace, this is like the classic, woe is me, I had ace king, look what happened, show the table of your cards, throw them in the muck kind of spot. So really, uh, really well done by Chris. And yeah. a nice heart, I think it would have worked against a lot of players uh, from Chase. It's a good learning opportunity. Hold the turn, though. <laughs> okay, well, you picked a good hand out of that session. Yeah, we had a nice conversation there. Um, our first episode went about an hour and 10 minutes. And I think this one is going to beat it. And that's good because every minute of just hands is just a world of fun. <laughs> this episode knows and appreciates that fact. Maybe next time we'll do a hand the Zach plate. Yeah, there's going to be some good Zach hands throughout the the course of poker unicorns. I'm I'm confident of that. Yeah, I'll I'll put a in the description as well if you want to visit the website. We'll get the dates for the upcoming streams. Um, if they end up going, which which I expect them to, and there should be some coming up in March, so you can stay posted for that. Well, Tommy, before you go, what else are you up to? I know you're not just doing poker unicorns. Oh, well, thank you for asking. Um, I Lee Jones and I did a video series at YouTube called Poker Simple that went from about two years ago to a year ago. We stopped when COVID started. And now I'm making my own videos at my own channel called Poker Words. So if you go to my website, TommyAngelo.com, scroll down, you'll see the videos. And I'm really, really psyched. This is my new thing. I'm not writing books anymore right now. I'm making videos. And it's just just a great joy. That's really my main my main thing. And I'm, I'm coaching. I'm charging by the half hour quite easy, quite accessible. That's at my website too. So making making videos and coaching is the bulk of my poker life these days. That's fantastic. I haven't seen any of the poker words, so I'll, I'll take a look and we'll link to that in the show notes, of course. Yeah. I'll okay. I'll, I'll send it to you. Um, yeah, I think you'll enjoy it. They're really short and fun. And I'm just like, totally geeked out on Final Cut and making movies and just learning all kinds yeah. of fun stuff. Movies are the thing. Uh, how's Lee doing? Great. We talk a lot. Um, he's writing articles for Poker Go. I, he runs them by me now and then, which is really fun to play, you know, writer stuff with him. Um, but Lee's, Lee's doing really, really well. And, and our friendship just grew so much through the course of making the videos and now it's just really strong. I'm really glad to hear that. I'm Are you playing to to Berkeley at some point uh, and hang with you guys. No, I haven't played a hand of poker since COVID started up. My local club, the Oaks right down the hill here is still closed. And, um, you know, my wife and I are both working at home. We're perfectly happy not flying around and not, you know, doing much. So we're just going to kind of wait till the uh, COVID is, you know, really 
locked down before we resume our normal travels and stuff. But hopefully we'll all get to play together in Austin. Wouldn't that be cool in Zach's game? Yeah, that would be, that would be right. fantastic. <clears throat> hey, just just because it's kind of a fun factoid for your listeners that Jack and I played together in a game um, in New York City in an underground game like four years ago, right, when we met. And that was pretty cool. And then another time, Jack was over here at my house. And do you keep it? Do do people know what a, a piano playing monster you are, or is that a secret? It's a secret. We're oh. gonna have to. We're gonna have to cut that out immediately. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just. I loved it when you came over here and played my piano. I don't get to hear other people play it much, and that was just a memory I'll always cherish. Yeah, that was a blast. Uh, I'd love to come by and play it again sometime soon. Yeah, well, once once the world resumes to normal, we'll get all that going. I hear that's going to happen someday. <laughs> well, the Vegas line is improving. <laughs> all right, guys. Tommy, thank you so much for joining us. James, thank you for joining me as always. And to the listeners, we really appreciate uh, your time as always. And hope you guys check out Poker Words, Poker Unicorns, all the good poker stuff. And have a fantastic week.